And do we have any idea where Prigozhin is? Well, I understand that he is, uh, says he's in Minsk, and he actually is, and get this, it's just reports that he is in a, one of the only hotels in Minsk that doesn't have any windows. Hmm. That's probably a smart idea. Woo-wee! Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Oregon on the Central Coast uh, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Out in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle. On KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square, Radio Detour Talk, and all, or well, most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth, much to the chagrin of some of our listeners, perhaps. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us after what was, of course, yet another slow news weekend, Desi Doyen. <laughs> yeah, it was really a slow news weekend. Nobody, Nothing to pay attention to at all. No, but apparently it's already got callers before we even go on the air just furious and calling in, calling you names and everything else. Yeah, so it yeah. should be a lively, uh, lively show today. We will see. We'll see. Uh, anyway, yeah, it, it was a totally slow weekend uh, for news. As long as you don't pay attention to everything that happened in the news over the weekend, including... Uh, Russia marching up to the very brink of a potential civil war in response to their appalling and, as it turns out, disastrously run imperialistic invasion of their sovereign neighbor, Ukraine. We will uh, try to get to that and and the latest there and a whole bunch of other stuff today, including anything that you might want to talk about, as I haven't been able to open the phones for uh, several weeks. So I'd like to try to do so today. Uh, at 818-985-5735 if you are in our live Southern California listening area or if you're listening from anywhere uh, via the kpfk.org live stream. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number if you want to li- line up. Uh, please note you will need to hit option number one to get through to us on the air. We're in the middle of another fun drive here at our L.A. flagship station, KPFK. Pacifica Radio, uh, who will happily accept your donations if you hit option number two when you call in as we 
struggle to keep alive L.A.'s only truly independent radio outlet, which some apparently don't like very much, Desi Doyen, based yes. on that call. Anyway, uh, hey, we turn 64 years old next month. Not me or Desi, but the station. Uh, and that is thanks only to listener support. So I've got a lot to get to before uh, opening up the phones. Do feel free to line up now, however, 818-985-5735. If you'd like to get in over your public airwaves today on what is a beautiful day in Southern California. But I should note, we are the exception to the rule, apparently, of this uh, extreme climate-changed-fueled weather that is slamming much of the country today. At least three people were killed after severe storms hit the states of Indiana and Arkansas over the past 24 hours or so, according to local authorities there. As several tornadoes touched down in some areas, the tornadoes were reported on Sunday afternoon in the southern portion of Indiana, according to the National Weather Service. About 75 homes were destroyed or damaged in Johnson County, Indiana, located south of the state capital of Indianapolis. A few days ago, at least one person was killed and about two dozen others were injured when a tornado hit central Mississippi. As of Monday morning, about half a million utility customers face power outages due to the weather in the U.S. Midwest and the South, according to the energy tracking website poweroutage.us. And remember, when they talk about customers, um, you know, who have lost their power, that means many more actual people are without power. Not just half a million, uh, that's half a million customers. So, you know, a customer, for example, may have uh, maybe a house with a family of five living in it. Or a business that has lots of people, lots of customers and yep. lots of employees that are completely knocked out of uh, power right now. The uh, number of outages could rise, however, over the next 24 hours or so because the East Coast now is also bracing for new severe thunderstorms from New York and Connecticut on down to South Carolina, potentially impacting more than 86 million Americans. The highest threat will be damaging winds, large hail, even a few tornadoes with over 1,000 flights canceled as of this morning with severe weather targeting the East Coast. The uh, cities in the bullseye of the uh, storms on Monday will be Raleigh, North Carolina, Richmond, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York State's Hudson Valley, New York City, as well as parts of Connecticut are all under threat for severe storms. Flash flooding uh, could hit New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. Meanwhile, a dangerous heat wave has helped spawn deadly tornadoes in Texas and Florida, where at least four people were killed this month in those storms and elsewhere as the heat spreads and meets cold fronts. More than a dozen states in all are now under extreme weather warnings or watches dealing with climate-induced weather disasters from just the last several days. Al Jazeera, in their coverage of some of this, was at least decent enough to note in their coverage, quote, a recent study published in the Bulletin of American Meteorological Society suggested that the types of intense storms that are known to spawn tornadoes are expected to increase as temperatures rise from climate change. Now, you will be uh, shocked to learn that we can't say the same thing about Fox News's coverage of the historic heat and storms and power outages that have been slamming Texas for nearly two weeks now. According to the 
foxweather.com website, which is apparently run by Fox News. Uh, as of Sunday, a historic heat wave baking Texas had entered its 11th consecutive day, and there's no end in sight as the dangerous temperatures begin to expand into other portions of the south and southwest. And with more than 10,000 power outages reported in Texas as of Sunday, they note after severe weather and deadly tornadoes last week, the excessive heat could turn deadly with many people having few options to escape the heat. More than 53 million people are now under heat alerts from the southwest through the southern plains and into the Mississippi Valley. Of those, some 13 million people are under excessive heat warnings in Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana. Texas will not be the only place where the excessive heat could lead to health emergencies like heat stroke and heat exhaustion. Temperatures well above 100 degrees are forecast from Phoenix and Tucson in Arizona through Roswell in New Mexico. The humidity will also make it feel hotter than it actually is, with feels-like temperatures well above 100 degrees. The feels-like temperature, uh, however, that's what the heat feels like when it's combined with humidity. Uh, On Sunday, the feels-like numbers ranged from 110 to 115 degrees Statewide across Texas, as we have been reporting uh, on our Green News report with Desi Doyne over the past week or so. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, Rio Grande Village in Texas was forecast to reach a high of 120 degrees on Sunday afternoon. That would tie the all-time high temperature, not the feels like, but the actual temperature uh, for all time in the state of Texas in its recorded history. And those triple-digit temps are now creeping into Louisiana and Mississippi. This extreme heat, the Fox Forecast Center predicts, will linger into July, adding what makes this especially dangerous is the number of consecutive days with heat indices close to or above 100 degrees, which makes it especially dangerous because the body does not have time to cool down overnight. Uh, and this happens consecutively over long days, can be very dangerous. Uh, They advise, the Fox Forecast Center advises those in the affected areas to drink plenty of water, avoid caffeinated and alcoholic beverages. Experts encourage people to wear lightweight and light-colored clothing. Officials have also asked people to limit their outdoors, their time outdoors, and take frequent breaks in air-conditioned spaces or the shade if they must be outside. And as we noted last week when discussing the seemingly endless and very early Texas heat wave, it comes as the state's Republican governor, Greg Abbott, has enacted a new big government law banning local ordinances, local ordinances, which mandate water breaks for construction workers because small Local government apparently doesn't know what's best for its own people, despite what Republicans have been pretending to tell us uh, for so many years. And while they're pretending to be concerned about the the little people, the construction workers and so (laughs) forth. Yes, they're not actually concerned about any of that. And just to give you a sense of how unprecedented this heat wave is Mm -hmm. in Texas, uh, we can look at San Angelo, Texas, which is in southern central Texas. Mm -hmm. On average, San Angelo gets in the month of June about five days 
days above 100 degrees. So far this June, it is in a streak of 12 days in a row. So from five days on average to 12 days in a row that have been above 100 degrees, expected to continue for several more days. They topped out at an all-time high record for San Angelo at 114 degrees. And they're setting basically setting new heat records almost nearly every day. And yet in all of this disaster coverage... Uh, including what's going on in Texas, uh, foxweather.com. You know, this is not – we're not a weather show. Uh, <laughs> I'm not mentioning it because I'm, I'm giving the weather forecast. I, I'm mentioning it because foxweather.com could not even find one sentence with all of their coverage to mention why all of this is happening across the country and the globe that they're pretending to report on. In fact, while I had never heard, of, frankly, of foxweather.com until this weekend, I thought it would be interesting to find out what they had to say. They're devoted to weather, after all, what they had to say about climate change. And I didn't uh, spend, you know, uh, an incredibly long amount of time. But in a brief search, I was able to find exactly nothing, zero, that informed readers about climate change or even what it was. Are you shocked? The, uh, the, the first result, by the way, when I did a search for climate change at foxweather.com, uh, the first result that I got was an article there headlined, Shark Bites, Man, uh, Shark Bites Man's Hand Inside Florida's Everglades National Park. And I thought, oh, well, maybe that's a story about how climate change has somehow changed uh, sharks and their migrating patterns right. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> The article says absolutely nothing about climate or climate change or our climate crisis at all. So I'm not sure why it comes up on the search. Uh, so does the story, by the way, on the historic heat wave in Texas. If you look up climate change, you'll get that story. But that story says literally zero about climate change or why this historic record deadly weather is suddenly happening a lot in Texas and in about half the states uh, just today alone. Sadly, I wish I could say it was only Fox that does that sort of thing. But a quick check of websites like ABC News while covering the extreme weather, uh, they did cover the weather, but they did not bother to explain why it was happening. Whereas Al Jazeera and the UK's Guardian in their coverage of weather in the U.S. actually did cover those things. Now, that's not a full survey of who did and didn't, but it gives you an idea of how Americans are so shamefully ill-informed by our corporate media at such a critical time. And you wonder, well, why are we in this mess? That's why we're in this mess. Yes, it certainly doesn't help that Americans are not able, the American public is not able to get accurate, science-based, evidence-based information about the climate crisis and how what we're experiencing right now is definitely connected directly to the climate crisis. 818-985-5735 is our phone number if you want to ring in on anything we have to say today, and I've got a lot to say. Uh, in other news, if you have been listening to the broadcast every day of late, you know that we have been sort of deep diving into a story that few others have been covering or really even noticing. The fallout from the GOP MAGA-organized unlawful breach of the Dominion voting systems, touchscreen voting machines, and computer tabulators in Coffee County, Georgia. On January 7, 2021, that's the day after 
The day, the one day after the Trump-induced mob attempted to overrun the U.S. Capitol on January 6 in hopes of stealing the election from Joe Biden. Well, we are de- uh, digging deep into that story uh, because nobody else seems to be uh, digging deep into what happened, how it is that the GOP-leaning Board of Elections in Coffee County just allowed these MAGA folks open the doors to them. Uh, to these uh, folks who were organized by Trump attorney Sidney Powell to just walk into the election building and make unlawful copies of the state's sensitive proprietary voting system software. So please see our exclusive coverage on the latest on that over at bradblog.com last week, as discussed also on this program at the time. I hope to have more uh, coming for you along these lines uh, in the days ahead and, and the weeks ahead. As the state's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, regarded by some incorrectly, I would say, but regarded as some as a hero simply because he stood up to Trump's strong arming to uh, when he, Trump tried to get him to steal the election from Joe Biden in Georgia in 2020. Well, Raffensperger appears to be working very hard to cover this whole thing up, this whole Coffee County breach. What happened in Coffee County? For some reason, he's uh, covering it all up. It seems to be won't answer questions or gives answers to questions that he ends up having to change later when the facts come out. Uh, and this breach exposed the statewide Dominion touchscreen voting system to real vulnerabilities because it's used across the entire state. That, as a federal judge two weeks ago, finally agreed to unseal an expert report in a long-running lawsuit by election integrity experts, not pretend MAGA election integrity experts, but real ones, real voting systems experts. Uh, The judge finally agreed to unseal this expert study by the plaintiff's expert in that case, revealing just how vulnerable Raffensperger's touchscreen voting systems are, in fact, to malware and intrusion and manipulation. The plaintiff's expert study had been sealed for about two years, even from the plaintiffs themselves, sealed by the judge because of her concerns about what it revealed about Raffensperger's systems. In the meantime, she had allowed the Federal Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, to review that study. They subsequently were alarmed enough to issue an alert recommending immediate software updates to those Dominion systems to try and at least plug some of these holes in in the Georgia voting system, where everyone at the polling place in Georgia must, by the order of Raffensperger, who ignored expert advice to move to a verifiable hand-marked paper ballot system in this critical battleground state, every voter must use this touchscreen system that Raffensperger forces on them at the polling place. Instead of going to a paper system, he spent about $150 million dollars Uh, for some 70,000 machines across the state that all must now be upgraded to be used in a way that is even close to safe in next year's presidential election in the state. Now, we broke on this show six weeks ago that Raffensperger's attorneys told the federal judge in that case that they're going to wait until after 2024 after the presidential election to install those security upgrades for some reason. Well, we broke that news six weeks ago on this program in a story headlined 
exclusive Georgia delays security fixes to touchscreen vote system until after 2024. Well, on Friday, finally, Politico uh, finally jumped in. Someone uh, the, the first one that I know of to jump in uh, to that coverage with a very good story headlined Brad Raffensperger's refusal to fix voting machines. Uh, voting machine bugs sets up 2024 election fight. So uh, if you listen to the broadcast, you would have heard about it six weeks ago. But now Politico has finally jumped in. Finally, Politico has caught up to the story. That's right. I mean, we do our best to be your early warning system. You hear as it here says, and then you'll hear it there later. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as, as Politico explains, as we did as well, there's no evidence the issues affected results in previous years, but they could provide openings for hackers and misinformation peddlers in 2024. In any event, I will try to leak, link to my tweet uh, over the weekend citing both of the stories, our own and, and Politico's, which, as I say, was very good. So I'm glad they have jumped in. Uh, but I'll try to post a link to my tweet linking to both of those stories because Twitter has made my post citing both of those stories virtually impossible to find, even if you go to my Twitter feed at the Brad blog. Uh, and I hope to report uh, more on uh, that story out of Georgia on tomorrow's broadcast as the Coffee County cover-up continues, uh, despite the fact that MAGA now has both the software and the uh, roadmap from an expert now, a real one, on how to mess with our elections in, the, uh, in that state next year. And the Georgia Secretary of State is doing literally nothing about any of it at this point. Got any thoughts on that? Questions on that? I'm available, 818-985-5735. In some other related-ish Georgia news today, last week we reported on the news that the State Board of Elections in Georgia had finally completed their investigation into the false claims by Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump, and others, uh, other MAGA dupes that uh, support them, that two Atlanta poll workers, Shea Moss and her elderly mother, Ruby Freeman, had somehow... Uh, the claim was that they had somehow cheated during vote counting back in 2020. Their lives were destroyed in the process by the claims from Trump, the false claims from Trump, describing them as, quote, vote hustlers. And Giuliani falsely claiming that uh, they had brought suitcases of ballots into the counting room and were, quote, passing around USB drives. To manipulate voting machines, supposedly, like vials of crack cocaine. That was Rudy Giuliani describing these two women. Can you guess what color Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman are? The pair uh, also testified to the January 6th committee on what happened to them. Those USB drives, it turns out, that they were passing back and forth were actually ginger mints that Ruby Freeman kept in her purse and handed to her daughter. Last week, in any event, the pair were fully cleared of any and all wrongdoing. After a full investigation by the State Board of Elections, the, the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the GBI, as well as the FBI. But Freeman and Moss, after settling with the uh, right-wing One American News outlet in a uh, defamation case, they still have a pending suit against Rudy Giuliani who has now been ordered to pay the attorney's fees of those two Georgia election workers who are suing him for defamation. That, after a federal judge found 
uh, Giuliani failed to comply with obligations to turn over evidence in the case. This reported by Bloomberg, U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell entered an order on Friday directing Giuliani to cover what it cost Freeman and Moss's lawyers to pursue their successful motion to compel him to produce information. That's great news. It is great news. Uh, Howell wrote that uh, Giuliani failed to show that his uh, resistance to the plaintiff's discovery requests was, quote, substantially justified, which meant he was required now to pay their attorney's fees. This is uh, so, uh, you know, Howell wrote in her uh, latest order that until the uh, until this fight came before her, Giuliani had arbitrarily limited how he searched certain sources of information. He performed, quote, imprecise manual searches of his uh, electronic accounts and delayed making productions in the case. Thoughts or questions on that? 818-985-KPFK. In the meantime... Amidst all of this madness and with a bunch of Supreme Court rulings, this term still to come somehow by the end of this week, or at least before the Fourth of July holiday in theory, the courts in this nation are holding with some more strikingly encouraging news, at least for now, once again today, from the otherwise wildly corrupted U.S. Supreme Court. You'll recall about two weeks ago, the court stunned The nation stunned me, certainly, uh, when two of its right-wingers, Chief Justice John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, joined the court's three liberals to uphold one of the last remaining elements of the Voting Rights Act that they hadn't killed previously, ruling that Section 2 of the Landmark Act was still needed to protect minority voters. That's good news. This was a couple weeks ago. They upheld a lower court ruling mandating the state of Alabama add another black majority voting district to the state's seven U.S. House districts. Currently, there's just one out of seven that is a black majority district, even though about a quarter of the state is black. So more along those lines, on Monday, happily, the U.S. Supreme Court dismissed a bid by a senior Republican state official to defend a map of Louisiana, Congressional districts that had been challenged by black voters as discriminatory, sending the closely watched legal battle back to a lower court. The justices had taken up the case last year, but put it on hold pending their ruling in a similar case from Alabama's case. Um, The uh, justices dismissed the appeal by Louisiana Secretary of State Kyle Ardwin of a lower court federal judge decision that the map delineating the six U.S. House of Representatives districts in Louisiana drawn by the Republican-led state legislature had discriminated unlawfully based on race. U.S. District Judge Shelley Dick last year had directed Louisiana's legislature to create two rather than one House districts where Black voters represent the majority of voters. That's a decision that could boost Democratic chances of regaining control of the uh, of the U.S. House next year. In their brief order dismissing the case, the Supreme Court justices said their action will allow the matter to proceed before the New Orleans fifth uh, New Orleans based fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for review. 
in advance of the 2024 elections in Louisiana. Yes, taking up the case last year meant that, in fact, black voters and Democrats were likely robbed of a House seat in Louisiana. Just as the high court's order to put the lower court ruling on hold in Alabama likely cost another seat in that state as well for Democrats, so did the rulings just like that in states like Florida and Texas, which arguably allowed Republicans to pick up their very slim House majority last year. Not good news. Uh, That in no small part because John Roberts and the court's activist right-wingers killed the part of the Voting Rights Act in 2013 that would have prevented these racist maps from being uh, enacted in the first place. You know, they would have been challenged before they were allowed to take effect. But now, at least, the court is surprisingly not doubling down on that horrible 2013 decision, which, of course, infuriates Republicans. But it is uh, swell news for those of us who are actually supporters of voting rights. Uh, now, the case is not yet decided, to be clear, by the high court's uh, action on Monday. It so will... so in other words, it doesn't mean that now Louisiana is going for sure to get two more seats, Correct. Right? Uh, okay. Correct. Basically, they said we made a mistake by taking it up. We should have let the lower courts handle it. So now the lower courts will be handling it, and it will have to go to the very right-wing Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. But if they follow the SCOTUS ruling from the Alabama case two weeks ago, they should absolutely find in favor of the plaintiffs here and end up adding another black majority House district in Louisiana as well. And we'll likely then, hopefully then, see similar rulings in several other GOP-run states like Texas and Florida, which have been trying to keep their fellow Americans, certain fellow Americans, from being able to vote at all. So uh, what we will call good news for today. Following on some other surprising rulings of late from the otherwise far-right activist corrupted court majority, in the, you know, in the same week that they stunned us all by protecting the Voting Rights Act, they also decided seven to two to uphold the private right to sue states over the way they administer uh, the federal Medicaid system, thus potentially saving Medicaid in the bargain. Also at the Supreme Court on Monday, in what has got to be bad news for far-right MAGA congressman and professional liar Jim Jordan, the... Um, Former Ohio State wrestling coach Jim Jordan, uh, accused of looking the other way despite years of complaints about sexual abuse by the school's team doctor. Well, the Supreme Court on Monday left in place a decision that will allow more than 230 men to sue Ohio State University over decades old sexual abuse by a university doctor. Ohio State University had urged the court to review a ruling by a court of appeals that had revived lawsuits that had been dismissed. But uh, the Supreme Court now says those may uh, move ahead. The men say it wasn't until 2018 that they first learned that the school had been aware of this guy, this Dr. Richard Strauss, who has since killed himself. But they had not been aware until 2018 that the uh, school knew about it and that they uh, failed to protect them from this guy. So the statute of limitations has not run out, at least according to the Supreme Court today. Their uh, suits had challenged what plaintiffs described as OSU's widespread cover-up. 
Those suits may now move forward following the uh, ruling by uh, the Supreme Court. Jim Jordan, the congressman from Ohio, has been accused by some as playing a key role in that cover-up. Last week, the court also allowed Joe Biden's immigration rules to move forward after a lower federal court had put them on hold. So what is going on with the Supreme Court? Are they okay? Do these encouraging rulings signal big trouble still to come with the uh, court's remaining rulings on this term? I think that's uh, your theory, (laughs) Desi Doyen. Well, it's not so much a theory as it has been hard-won experience that in the past, in past previous terms, we have found that the Supreme Court, the right-wing majority, will put out some very nice, shockingly positive or not as awful as we expected types of rulings. And then at the end, they say for the very end, they're absolutely worse. Worst rulings You're that right. will that will curdle your your curdle your blood. Yes, uh, and and among those uh, rulings still to come: uh, affirmative action in the college admissions process, uh, rulings on the ridiculous independent state legislature theory, which Republicans argue allows state legislatures to make any and all rules for federal elections, ignoring completely unreviewable by any judge or jury. Governors, or state uh, constitutions, state ballot initiatives, state courts, all can be ignored based on whatever the Republicans in the state legislature want to do. Uh, And the uh, still-to-come ruling regarding Joe Biden's executive mandate, uh, which the court has put on hold, uh, that would forgive up to $20,000 in student loan debt for Americans making less than $125,000 a year. So uh, got an opinion on any of that, on what the hell is going on at the Supreme Court? 818-985-5735. Uh, You know, is this a response to the critical reporting that ProPublica and others have been doing, detailing the years of corruption by the court's right-wing justices like Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito? Is this an attempt to win back credibility somehow from the American people? As the court has an all-time low opinion of uh, uh, of this Roberts court? 818-985-5735. Would love to hear from you. It's not only the Supreme Court that is uh, holding so far, by the way. Uh, So are the federal lower federal courts, not in every case, but in some critical ones of late. For example, a federal district court judge has struck down and permanently enjoined an incredibly cruel Arkansas law signed by the Republican governor there, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that aimed to ban gender-affirming care for transgender youth, finding that this state's law violates the constitutional rights of those youth and their parents and their medical providers. The court held that the plaintiffs prevailed on All of their claims, finding that Arkansas's ban violated the Equal Protection Clause, the Due Process Clause, and the First Amendments of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, Similar laws in Alabama and Florida and Indiana are blocked by preliminary injunctions from federal courts. In 2023, thus far, the ACLU and its affiliates have uh, challenged seven such new laws that are similar to Arkansas's ban. And in a politically, politically related case, at least, there was also good news late last Friday. A federal judge in central Florida temporarily blocked the state from enforcing a new law banning minors from attending drag shows in the state where Republican Governor Ron DeSantis likes to pretend that he is a free speech champion. He ain't. 
The uh, judge was acting on a request by a restaurant chain which sued Florida last month, claiming that the law was overly broad and put a chilling effect on the right to free speech under the First Amendment. The judge agreed uh, in his ruling, uh, he actually used DeSantis's own words against him. He cited previous laws that were passed by the Florida governor in his reasoning for placing an injunction on this law. Judge Presnell wrote that the Florida government had failed to sufficiently narrow the breadth of the ban in order to prevent its, quote, inevitable clash with the Florida Parents' Bill of Rights and other laws. Signed into a law in uh, in July of 2021 by DeSantis, the so-called Parental Bill of Rights, as quoted by the judge, states that, quote, all parental, all parental rights are reserved to the parent of a minor child in this state, including the right to direct the upbringing and the moral or religious training of his or her minor, minor child. Oops. DeSantis hoisted on his own wingnut Petard? Sounds like it to me. Uh, The DeSantis administration, by the way, has also taken other actions against drag shows, including filing a complaint against the Orlando Philharmonic for their child-friendly drag queen Christmas program, uh, during which undercover agents who attended from the state were unable to find any, quote, lewd acts according to a state report that was first <laughs> detailed by Miami Herald. Because there aren't any. That's why it's not a doesn't make any sense. But you know, it's Florida, man. It's 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 freedom. Freedom, the state freedom in Florida. That's what Ron DeSantis actually ran on re-election. Uh, yeah, with. it's freedom for you to think and believe as Ron DeSantis wants you to think and believe. <laughs> That's your freedom. Any thoughts on this? 818-985-KPFK on this or anything else uh, that you might want to talk about over your public airwaves. How about, for example, Russia coming this close? to slipping into civil war over the weekend as the uh, commander of the nation's most effective fighting force, really, in Ukraine, uh, charged that the entire war, Russia's entire war against Ukraine, was essentially a ruse that it was never about demilitarizing or denazifying Ukraine, as Putin has claimed that as he marched his troops back into Russia, took over a key city, Shot down about six, uh, uh, reportedly, uh, six uh, Russian helicopters as he marched towards Moscow before a deal was finally struck to have him stand down from the march against what many believed was an insurrection against Vladimir Putin. Any thoughts on that? 818-985-5735. That story... And your calls are uh, are straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com slash donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. 
We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. No one can take away your right to fight and to never surrender. Here we go. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Never surrender? Well, they seem to have surrendered pretty easily over the weekend in uh, in Russia, apparently. I hope to uh, hope to get into some uh, detail with an expert on this in the days ahead. But for now, since I know many were sort of glued to their TVs, trying to figure out what the hell was going on in Russia uh, over the weekend as Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin a previously close ally of Vladimir Putin, not anymore, apparently, I suspect, uh, trying to figure out what was going on as uh, Prigozhin, and, uh, who is also the head of the sort of semi-private Wagner group uh, mercenary brigade, arguably the most effective fighting force for Russia in Ukraine, as he turned his troops back toward Russia and marched halfway to Moscow in what appeared to be the beginning of a civil war in Russia against what Prigozhin had described as an inept defense ministry and uh, and a war in Ukraine that was built on lies, lies to the Russian people that had nothing to do with Putin's claim of protecting Russia against Ukraine or NATO or demilitarizing and denazifying Ukraine. All of that, he essentially said, was nonsense. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 818-985-5735 about what actually happened, because really nobody yet knows. We do not know the full story, and we do not know where it is going from here at this point. So everyone, even the experts, are essentially speculating. 818-985-KPFK, the potential standoff, which uh, reportedly included, uh, you know, as I said, Wagner shooting down a bunch of Russian helicopters as they marched toward Moscow. That was ultimately diffused, at least in theory, but we don't really know, at least in theory, uh, when the leader of Belarus offered refuge for Prigozhin. The uh, leader of Belarus also being a close ally of Putin's, however, so I'm not sure how safe that harbor will be for Prigozhin at this point. And with Putin now uh, claiming that those Wagner fighters who did not turn against Russia would be spared recrimination. On Monday, however, he uh, sort of had some different thoughts on that. I'll get to those in a moment, but let me get to Mike in Los Angeles. 818-985-5735 is our number. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad. I was led to uh, call by your opening comments on the heat dome over the Texas yes. area. Yes. One of the fatalities back there was some individual uh, who was old enough to know better and decided to go for a hike in Big Bend National Park when the temperatures were well above 110 in the Fahrenheit. Mm. And uh, 
brings to mind these people you hear whenever we get uh, brush fires in the Los Angeles area and the air quality is absolutely stinking, mm-hmm. who say no pain, no gain, going to get out there and push it today. Well, no gain, no pain, no gain works if you're not in the process demonstrating how the theory of natural selection works. And I would strongly recommend anyone who has to get out and exercise no matter what to first look up the SC. AQMD website, which lists the air quality levels in various areas, and make sure it's in the good quality before you do any deep breathing, because the fine particulate matter in a lot of our pollution will cause uh, heart disease and lung disease, and you don't get back from that, really. Mm, yeah. Excellent points, all of them, Mike. Thank you for uh, for calling in with those thoughts. Greatly appreciated. Always good to hear from you. 818-985-5735. As I said, uh, happy to talk about any of these things uh, that may be on your mind or anything else. These are your public airwaves, and it's important that you use them before you lose them more than you already have. The, yeah, you had Oh, I just thought? had a yeah. quick thought about uh, Prigozhin and Russia and the, the speculation about what mm-hmm. is going on. Um, some of the uh, experts on Russia and foreign policy policy that I follow have suggested that um, although Prigozhin has effectively retreated from this adventure that he went on, he's now a figure of completely different scale in mm. Russia that mm-hmm. has changed his his uh, position in standing, the Russian his standing. Yeah. And so they suggested that uh, punishing or challenging Prigozhin might actually be kind of tricky. Um, they say that, that it poses, mm. that he now poses a threat to Putin, that Putin will have to address that and he'll have to weigh all the risks of a potential mm. negative reaction from Prigozhin's sympathizers among the nation. You mean if he, were to, if he were to suddenly fall out of a window, for exactly. example. Again. Yeah. yeah, but that might, those things well, might not go over well, so that it's a it's a tricky road for Putin to navigate that he might not be able to do his his usual authoritarian stuff where he, you know, just offs people when they when he doesn't like what they've done. 818-985-KPFK. 818-985-5735. As I said, Putin is now claiming that those uh, Wagner fighters who did not turn against Russia would be spared. But on Monday... He vowed that those responsible for the armed revolt that plunged his country into chaos would be, quote, brought to justice, but offered uh, little clarity in his brief remarks. I think it was the first time that he appeared on uh, Monday amid all of this. He offered little clarity about the situation and what happens next. What do you think will happen next? What do you think should happen next? Early Monday, uh, Wagner mercenary chief Prigozhin uh, issued a defiant audio message in which he defended his actions and those of his fighters. He acted, uh, he claimed, not to topple Putin's regime, but to protect Wagner from being destroyed by the Russian defense ministry. The future now of Prigozhin and his rebels is, to say the least, uncertain. Putin's regime appeared weakened having promised to pardon those that it labeled traitors merely mere hours earlier and said it would allow Prigozhin to head to exile in Belarus. At the White House on Monday, President Biden commented on the situation in hopes of making it clear that neither the uh, U.S. nor NATO had anything to do with what happened over the weekend in Russia, so they say, and that the U.S. government would continue its support of measures that allow Ukraine to defend itself from the brutal 
invading Russian forces. The situation began to develop as it did. I directed my national security team to monitor closely and report to me hour by hour. I instructed them to prepare for a range of scenarios. I also convened our key allies on a, on a Zoom call to make sure we're all on the same page. It's critical that we're in a coordinated in our response and coordinated in what we to anticipate. We agree, they agreed with me that we had to make sure we gave Putin no excuse. Let me emphasize, we gave Putin no excuse to blame this on the West or to blame this on NATO. We made clear that we were not involved. We had nothing to do with it. This was part of a struggle within the Russian system. I also talked at length with President Zelensky of Ukraine. I'll be keeping in contact with him. I told him that no matter what happened in Russia, let me say it again, no matter what happened in Russia, we, the United States, would continue to support Ukraine's defense and its sovereignty and its territorial integrity. That was Joe Biden at the White House on Monday saying uh, the U.S. had nothing to do with it. Do you agree? Do you disagree? I'm actually surprised whenever I open, usually, usually, and this is maybe telling, I don't know, whenever I usually open the phones up concerning Ukraine and Russia, the phones light up. Today, either our phones are out. Which I don't think they are. Or not so much. Right. And Apparently, I'm wondering people why. people don't have a lot of uh, input on this. I think part of it is, is likely that? because nobody knows what the hell is going on <laughs> well, there. I don't even know that, that people in Russia understand what's going on. It's all very, very amorphous and unclear. But not knowing what's going on has usually not kept our listeners from calling in and ringing <laughs> in anyway. That's true. Uh, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm hoping to get to more Really, because nobody does know anything about this. There is a lot of speculation and guessing, but just the way Russian politics works, um, it's hard to know what is actually going on. But what we do know is that Prigozhin has been uh, doing this for some weeks, in fact, has been uh, out there kind of bad-mouthing. He makes his own videos. He makes selfie videos. He's been out there bad-mouthing uh, the, the Russian defense ministry, saying they're doing a terrible job. And for him to come out right out and say, out and out, there is no uh, – this is not about denazification of Ukraine. This is not about demilitarizing Ukraine. This is about the minister of defense – Shoigu, essentially, uh, wanting a promotion, making stuff up. So, you know, I'm curious, has it changed your view of the Russian war on Ukraine? You can also drop me an email on bradcast at bradblog.com. I know that, sadly, there have been a lot of folks, even on the left, who have been disinformed about what is actually going on in this war. So has Prigozhin declaring that this was never about denazification in Ukraine? Has that helped uh, the scales fall from your eyes finally about what is in actuality the front lines of a a very real war between democracy and autocracy in Europe right now? 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to um, uh, let me go to Marco in Pasadena. Hey, Marco, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Hey, hey, Marco. Um, hi, I'm just try to keep uh, this theory short. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. I think it's uh, somewhat of a Russian false flag uh, distraction to create some internal dissent so that Putin can 
get uh, consolidate his internal politics with some of these anti-terrorist measures mm-hmm. and uh, send uh, his uh, adversary, quote unquote, to Belarus, mm-hmm. to his best friend, uh, and uh, they can organize an assault uh, on Kiev from Belarus. So uh, Prigozhin in cahoots here with uh, Putin under Prigozhin that theory. Being, yeah. being Putin's chef since the 90s, they're best friends. He mm-hmm. really trusts Prigozhin, and he set Prigozhin up to be the man he is today. And right. I really believe it's just uh, a little bit of smoke and mirrors. All right. I appreciate the call, Marco. I appreciate the theory. 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to um, Matt in San Luis Obispo. Hey, Matt. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, I would like to say, and just please let me finish because I know you're probably going to disagree. Um, but I think you like to have some, you know. Go ahead, go ahead. You have to start before you can finish. Go ahead, Matt. I want to say, yes. Uh, let me get this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, basically, I, you know, Putin. We know he's not the most stable person on earth, and mm-hmm. I think that has been known for a long, long time. And an organization like NATO, which was not set up to be the friendliest to Russia. Imagine some organization not set up to be the friendliest to the U.S. set up in Mexico. How do you think the U.S. would act then? I mean, this guy's already a loon. But I don't n- think it was about getting rid of the Oz off or anything. They've already been. But NATO was not. Right? But NATO was not set up in Ukraine. NATO has turned well, down right. Ukraine's interest in uh, joining uh, NATO. Exactly. But even just that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, this dude's a nut. Right. Yeah. And just the, the, the threat of his, you know, of this territory being in, encroached by something to that effect. And yet, I, Matt, I, and I don't mean to cut you off. I, I don't mean to cut you off uh, because I disagree. It's not a matter of that. Uh, it's a matter of that. I literally have two minutes before the end of the show. But Sweden okay. and Finland join NATO and Russia has not invaded them. Why is that? No. Well, was it NATO wanting to set up bases in Ukraine? Uh, no, Ukraine wanted NATO to set up bases in Ukraine. Well, that's the difference. Sweden, the other ones, I mean, as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't want, bases were not planned to be set oh, up. Oh, no, there will be, yes, there will be bases in Sweden and uh, uh, Finland now that they are members of NATO. Yeah. Okay. Matt, I, I, I hear well, you. No, I hear okay. you. And if I wasn't at the end of the show, I would have it out with you longer. Next time, call in earlier. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Eight, 818-985. Oh, I don't know. Why am I even giving out the number? Let me get to uh, Laura very quickly in Bassett. Is that right? Yes. I think Fergoshin is more dangerous than Putin, and I think... Putin will probably take him out real soon. All right. I thank you, Laura. I appreciate Laura. I appreciate that uh, thought. You might be right. We got uh, time for one more here. Steve in Santa Barbara. Hey, Steve. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much. And um, my understanding of that whole situation historically is that since we invaded Russia in 1918, this is just one more grand battle to try to knock those people out of Russia. Since we, the United States, invaded Russia, we are still working to do what? We invaded Russia after World War One. Um, look, read Brzezinski's book from about 1979. 
Okay, let me, if I take your uh, notion that we invaded Russia in 1918, you're saying that we are still trying to, that we are invading Russia now, Steve? The West is still trying to take over Russia. Okie dokie then. I appreciate that call, Steve. Uh, and with that, we have got to get out. I don't know that uh, we're, uh, the U.S. is trying to take over Russia I don't know what we would do with it. That said, the conversation will continue in the days and weeks ahead, no doubt. I appreciate everyone who uh, who did call in, uh, uh, even at the end, even if I couldn't get to everyone, because they came in so late. You guys, I give you the numbers at the, the beginning of the show. Eight one. Uh, anyway, all right, we have got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Wendell Hendy, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, along with all the programs we have ever done, including some of those exclusives I mentioned last week. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and Twitters, I am the Brad Blog and Mastodons. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. I'm Rick Smith and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1934. That was the day 1,400 workers at the Milwaukee Electric Railway and Light Company launched a four-day strike. Three unions, representing about a third of the total employees, were fighting to break the hold of the company union. The Transit and Power Company had already fired 13 workers for union activity. IBEW, Operating Engineers, and the Amalgamated Association of Street and Electric Railway Employees Union led the walkout. They demanded reinstatement of their fired co-workers. They also wanted the right to pick their own bargaining representatives and insisted the company union rescind its policy of barring strikers from membership and further employment. The walkout began early in the morning as strikers surrounded car barns, garages, and power plants. Company agents barricaded facilities with barbed wire, supplied Pullman cars for strike breakers, and posted armed guards on streetcars. Almost immediately, striker Joseph Urbanski was mowed down and seriously injured as he tried to stop a scab streetcar. By nightfall, 5,000 strikers and their supporters had blocked five transit lines. They ripped protective screens from the streetcar windows and forced scab drivers to abandon their routes. As crowds swelled to 10,000 on the second day of the strike, a little more than half of all cars were in service. More than 100 streetcars had been damaged. Socialist Mayor Daniel Hahn placed the blame squarely on the utility company. Street battles with police and scabs continued into the third day of the strike. Milwaukee's Federated Trades and Building Trades Councils threatened a general strike in the city by July 2nd if the strike was not settled. By June 30th, workers celebrated total victory when the company conceded to all of their demands. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com.
Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today.